My name is Jess Keating, and I rate the World of Weird Animal series with Knopf. Welcome to The Yarn, a school library journal production. I'm Colby Sharp. I sat down with Jess Keating in the fall of 2017 in St. Louis during the NCTE annual conference. Jess Keating is a zoologist, author, and one of my favorite people to follow on Instagram. Seriously, if you're not following her, you need to change that. You're welcome. In today's episode of The Yarn, she talks about the World of Wild Animal series. In this episode, she talks about how she became a children's book author, the research that goes into her books, and why the World of Weird Animal books feel like home to her. We'll kick off this episode with a joke from Jess. Do I have any good jokes? You know, I'd, so I did two school visits on Thursday this week, and I talk about dung beetles. And I use dung beetles to talk about how it's okay to start with something really small that maybe is a little stinky and then turn it into this big, amazing idea, right? Of course, that's, that's how the zoologist thinks. Um, and my joke, I said, what is a dung beetle's favorite joke? And I said, knock, knock. Who's there? Europe. Europe who? No, Europe who. <laughs> I know. I know. I'm Did sorry. The kids, like that? the kids loved it. The teachers even, like, it, it's a groaner. But, like, sometimes in, in that context making people feel a little bit sorry for you and like, oh my God, that's pathetic. It, that's also funny. So I'm, I'm okay poking, you know, making fun of myself and making a level playing field for everybody. So I will say right now, that's one of my favorite jokes. The series started in my head with the actual title, Pink is for Blobfish. Um, I don't really know what I was thinking at the time, but I was thinking about probably gender expectations, and pink is a color that is often associated with, you know, a judgment. And um, I knew that I wanted to do something a little bit different. Um, I have been asked before if I'm going to continue the series with other colors. Um, The answer is no, only because there's other amazing books about, you know, different animal colors out there. But I really wanted it to be something where every book in this series were, were rethinking and questioning our expectations about something. So in the case of the first book, it's the gender expectations of the color pink. In the second book, it is, you know, questioning our judgments about something that's different from us with monsters. And the third book is about not limiting uh, something based on how they look, which is the cute as an axolotl. So it was really about sort of, it's on its face value, it's, you know, books about weird animals, but deep down I'm hoping that people sort of Um, It starts a dialogue about our expectations in some way. One of the really great things that I keep hearing from this series is that the the layout of the text is special. And the people ask, like, oh, was that intentional? It was, but it really only actually happened after I spoke with with Catherine. Um, We wanted each page, because it's expository nonfiction, you can kind of pick it up anywhere and open up to any page and hopefully learn something. And I wanted it to be a book that, A, younger kids could read on their own. That's why we have the layered text. So there's one big splash, you know, sentence across the left side, and then a big, beautiful photograph. And then there's the deeper bursts that you get into. And then for the super nerds like me, there's the sidebar of all these facts. So at the time when we were developing this book, the design team sort of helped, you know, make this amazing, um, you know, page layout. And then on top of that, we have David DeGran's awesome, awesome cartoons that even if you're not into science or animals, 
that's often the doorway in to read the, you know, it, into the page. So a lot of effort went into that. And it, it's one of those things that seems so simple, like, oh, layered text, and you've got a picture and artwork. But that was a lot of really brilliant minds, you know, sort of helping me along there to, to land where we landed. The pictures, so that's the fun part. A lot of kids ask, they think that I take the photos myself. I would love to be traveling the world and taking photos. Um, I do not currently have a submarine, so I can't get a blobfish photo. Um, most of the pictures came from scientists who studied the animals. And the one really cool one that sticks out to me, I got to speak to, you know the hot pink slug? In the first one, it's like eight inches long and it looks like a cartoon character. Um, that slug has never been in a book before. And it's because when I was doing the last iterations of you know research for this book, that this, you know, um, this uh, scientific journal popped up about these amazing hot pink slugs. And I was like, holy crap, this is amazing. So I emailed the man who discovered them. He was, he's a park ranger. His name is Michael. And he was out hiking one day on this one volcano, you know, in Australia. And he found these like eight inch hot pink slugs. And I remember emailing him being so excited, like, you know, dear sir, like I'm a zoologist and author. Can I please, please, please use your photo in this book? And of course he was lovely and Australian and amazing. And so most of the pictures came from people whose job it is to take these photos. And it's actually one of the jobs that when I do school visits, every hand goes up when I say like, who thinks it would be amazing to travel the world and take pictures of animals? So I'm really hoping that like, that's an element that I wouldn't really have thought of before sort of opening that doorway. Uh, the hardest part is, oh gosh, every book has its own challenges. Um, Initially, when I was planning sort of the series with my editor, one of the hard parts was really isolating the concept and the theme so that each book had an amazing array of animals, but also tackled a little bit of that sort of societal judgment. That was a really, like, again, it's one of those things. It seems super simple, but getting there, it took a lot of back and forth um, between myself and Catherine. Um, another really hard part is just the, like I said, picking, kind of like picking a favorite kid, you know, and that maybe sounds a little dramatic, but I feel so strongly that kids need to learn about all of these animals. Narrowing it down to 15 or 17 was painful at times. So that's why I do like deleted scenes and stuff like that on the internet, because I, I think it's, I wish they could all have their own book. But uh, yeah, there's, that's probably the hardest part is just not being selfish and making it a 200 page picture book. I've always been a zoologist. I went through to do my master's and I was going to do my PhD. And I remember reading at the time that something like 95% of academic journals are only read by like three people. And one of them is the advisor and one of them's like the mom. And that really bothered me because so much of the stuff that scientists are out there discovering is like mind-blowingly cool. And kids especially would get so much from that. So I really had like a day when I woke up and I said like, you know, sorry, mom and dad, like, I'm not gonna be a prof. I'm gonna try writing for kids. And I'd always written, you know, when, when I was in school, all of my English teachers said, oh, you're gonna be a writer. All of my science teachers said, no, you're gonna be a scientist. Not one really said, you can do both. So I think it was only by sheer stubbornness that I arrived there. But on that kind of you know, time of my life when I decided I was gonna start writing more professionally, I actually started with nonfiction articles for kids in magazines. 
nobody really knows that. You know, like it's it was a brief, you know, well, one or two years of doing that. And then my first book, How to Own a Crocodile When Your Shoes Are Untied, that was fiction, of course. So I think I started, I really enjoyed um, being like, funny with kids and stuff and one of the comments that I always used to get I think I mentioned this before somewhere um, was in my academic papers advisors would always be like you need to tone down the voice like you can't have jokes and I was like oh come on like this is the how can I write about a blobfish without cracking a joke so I started in nonfiction. I, I think it you, you kind of expand your comfort zone a little bit a little bit at a time so I started with nonfiction, and then I wrote my first novel and I think I gave myself like I said, if, you know, if I can manage to find an agent within a year, I'll, I'll see if I can really give this a go. And if not, then, you know, I'll step back and, you know, reevaluate. And I think it was like a year and three days that I met Kathleen Rushall and we ended up signing and I love her. And uh, I, I'm, I'm calling that, I'm counting that, even though it was a little longer than a year, I'll take the three-day window. So, yeah, I actually started with nonfiction. So this, these, the World of Weird Animals books very much feels like home to me. That's, they, I won't say they come easily, but that's how I naturally tend to think and see the world. Well, my first hope, obviously, is that kids read it. Um, not all great books get the audience. And so far, I've been, I've been quite lucky with, um, you know, reaching kids and teachers and parents. Um, so I really, really hope that it gets read. And Beyond that, you know, if I'm being selfish, I hope that it somehow conveys that sort of amazed feeling that I have about the natural world to kids. Like, I think nature and animals and, you know, science are, like, endlessly fascinating. And my goal is that I provide something on every single page that one kid can kind of, like, dive into. And if, you know, even maybe even beyond that, if I'm getting super selfish... I'm hoping that some kid falls in love with one of these animals and decides like, oh, I want to work to potentially save this animal's habitat or, you know, the space that they live in or something like that. I think that would be incredible. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Yarn. A huge thank you to NCTE for providing us a room for the interview. They do it every year at their annual conference. It helps us out a ton starting to get super pumped for their 2019 conference in Baltimore. I hope to see you there. It's going to be off the hook. Thank you, Jess Keating, for inspiring kids to explore the world that we live in. Man, what an awesome world. Thank you, Travis Yonker, for helping me produce this episode. Thank you, Philip Stead, for creating our theme song. Additional music for this episode comes from the Free Music Archive. Thank you so much for tuning in. Have an awesome day, and happy, happy reading. Mm-hmm.